Today's episode is brought to us by CS Instant Coffee, the best coffee for any adventure you're going to go on. Use the code ADVENTURE at csinstant.coffee and get 50% off through September and October. So give it a shot. And we're also brought to you by Rome Products. They make elastic knit minimalist style wallets with all sorts of designs. Get 20% off the perfect minimalist wallet for all your adventures. It'll hold everything you need by going to wheredoyouroam.com and use the code PODCAST with a capital P at checkout. Throwing the line, or when you're casting the line, the rod is loading up with that with that mass and flinging it out. And that's what sends the line, the leader, the tippet, the fly out into the water. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast. Trying to help you find adventure every day in any stage of life. You're going to hear from explorers, adventurers, business owners, and anyone living their life a little more out of the box than usual. Hey folks, as you probably noticed last week, we didn't have a Friday episode, and uh, I announced a few episodes ago, we're only going to be doing two episodes a week from now on, Monday and Thursday, and it's going to be a combination of revisited and brand new episodes. We're going to try to get as many brand new episodes out as possible, and we've gotten a lot of requests for uh, fishing episodes recently, so if you know anybody in the fishing world, just reach out and have them get on the show, and we'll, we'll interview them. But until then, here's a revisited episode for fly fishing specifically that Kurt did a few years ago. And also, before we get started, I wanted to mention we have a new sponsor. You probably noticed that. It's Rome Products. They make wallets and silicone rings. Uh, it's like minimalist backpacking wallets. It's great. I, I hate how big and bulky my leather wallet was, so I, I was looking for something that was smaller. Um, but yeah, my, my wallet's really tiny now. It's perfect can't stand having that big old wallet in my pocket all the time. So I'm happy to make that change. And also they make uh, silicone rings. I have been a proponent of silicone rings, wedding bands forever. Uh, after I almost got my finger ripped off, falling off a ladder um, when I had a, my tungsten one on. So yeah, I'll never be wearing a metal ring ever again with, after that experience. So check them out. Use the code PODCAST, capital P, to get 20% off. I, I just really like the products. I chose Yosemite Valley Wallet because uh, I love Yosemite. There's a ton of designs. Check them out. But I just wanted to introduce them and welcome them, welcome them to the Adventure Sports Podcast community. All right, enough of me blabbering. Here's the episode. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. I have a fly fisherman with us today, and I know some of you are going to say, fly fishing? Is that an adventure sport? But I have said on previous shows, I argue it is an adventure sport because of the amazing way it gets you out into nature and the adventure travel that you can have with it and how it encourages people to get into the backcountry to do a lot of things. It's just an alternative way to encounter nature and have amazing adventures. And so we're going to explore that today with John Hogan's. John grew up in San Diego, California. He spent several years in Sacramento. He had a brief stay in Colorado and Kansas, but now he's in Texas in a town called Woodway. And the reason I bring that up is he is an avid fly fisherman in Texas. So a lot of fly fishermen out there think trout cold water fish, 
you know, rushing streams. Well, John learned to fly fish that way, but he took his love for fly fishing to Texas and now does warm water fly fishing. And he has a lot to tell us about that that might open up the sport to a whole lot of you who don't have access to those cold water streams. So that's a long intro there, John, but welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Curtis. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're excited to have you here to talk about fly fishing, the adventurous side of it, and to get a little bit more in-depth. I mean, I think this warm water fly fishing is fascinating because not everybody lives in a cold water climate, but we'll come back to that. Right. For starters, how did you get started fly fishing? So I'm 50 years old, and back when I was um, in, in grade school, I was like 11 or 12 years old, my dad took me on a float trip on the Madison River up in Montana. And previously, I had not been fly fishing, just regular rod and reel. My dad had been. He, he'd been fishing since the 60s. Uh, fished all up through the Sierras, the Eastern Sierras, Hot Creek and Bishop. Um, anyways, we we went on a trip to to uh, to Montana, um, a three or four day trip, and I was hooked. Um, it was just an amazing experience. I still have the you know those vivid images of going down the river on the on the on the big float boats and 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 catching fish. Um, that seemed bigger than I was. And, you know, getting back home, um, all I could think about from then, then on was when our next trip would be and where we could go fishing next. So yeah, I guess, you know, nearly, nearly 40 years of fishing, of fly fishing. (laughs) That's awesome. So then I assume that you and your dad did a lot more fly fishing in California. Yeah. So we didn't do much saltwater or warm water fishing around San Diego. We would typically plan for a trip in the summers. Uh, he was a he was a professor at a local college, San Diego Mesa College, and in the summers, of course, you know, we'd have some time off, and we would plan big trips somewhere, whether it was to Montana, uh, Colorado, up the up the um, up into the Sierras. Uh, always plan at least one big trip backpacking or 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 um packing in with horses or or something every year and you know just plan and plan for it the the rest of the year and and enjoy it while we could during that that week or two that we were out on the out on the water see so, that's a perfect example of why i say that fly fishing is an adventure sport mm-hmm. so some people you know they have the the iconic view of the guy standing knee deep in waders and and he's got this beautiful line arced out over his head and it's a peaceful scene and maybe the guy's 65 years old and people are saying, yeah, that's what I'm going to do someday when I can't do this other stuff. And I just feel like that image, while it's accurate, is not accurate because fly fishing has become a young person's sport and it leads people into such amazing adventures to connect with nature it's not that that kind of river runs through it scene necessarily, unless you're talking about the one where the guy's swimming down the rapids with a fish on the line. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that doesn't. Well, hopefully that doesn't happen too often, you know. Um, but right, it it gives you the chance to get out into areas that that typically other people aren't. Um, it, it's something to do when you go 
camping or, or hiking or, or such. It's a destination or an activity along the way. Right. Um, some of the most incredible spots that, that I've seen have been on a fly fishing trip and, and getting out away from the roads and the people and the, the, the others and experiencing, you know, everything from the quietness of nature and the ripple of the stream to, to seeing wildlife that, that you typically wouldn't, wouldn't ever see, um, you know, moose and bear, bobcats. Um, I mean, you name it, you see, you, you'll never know what you're going to see, uh, especially in areas like Yellowstone or, or the upper Sierras. And it's just, it, it is a wonderful experience. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And John, you and I spoke earlier, you know, that I fly fish with, with my mm-hmm. guys, my sons, and one son in particular is a, just an avid fly fisherman. Man, is he good. Daniel is, is amazing. Um, but we always take the fly rods when we go backpacking. And for me, it's a backpacking trip. That's just where I'm focused. For Daniel, right. it's a fishing trip. Yeah. <laughs> that he goes yeah, backpacking Yeah, I understand on. that. <laughs> and, but that's great because it works. So, you know, we, we have so much fun doing that, and it's such an easy thing to throw a, a lightweight fly rod in your pack. Yeah. And you have entertainment and camp that way, but you might also have food that you can add to that dehydrated food that you had to eat on the trail along the right. way. And so I just think it's a wonderful complement to uh, getting out into nature in any way that you want to do it. Matter of fact, this is one we haven't done yet, but we're planning, is a, a mountain biking trip where we bike into areas to go fly fishing. We think that oh, would be a, that'd be a fun way to go about it because you can just go so much farther and deeper, you know, quickly right. on a bike. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah. How we're are you, do is that, that. Is that uh, in, in Colorado? Is that where you're planning? Well, yeah, Colorado is, is our target because that's home for us. But I imagine <laughs> that people could do that in lots of places. It's just a matter of finding the right mountain biking trail that goes near water. Yeah. And then goes far enough that it's worthwhile, you know. There's actually here in, in Woodway, we're part of Waco, and Lake Waco um, has a bunch of little parks around it with some great mountain biking trails. And surprising, you know, right in the middle of Texas, you can't believe there'd be mountain biking trails, but there there's some great ones. And and one in particular falls along a little stream that dumps down into, into Lake Waco, and white bass will will shoot up the river, um, largemouth, bluegill, all kinds of warm water fish like to run up that river. And just like you're saying, you take your mountain bike and kind of cruise around down through there and stop along the way and fish and just have a blast. Uh, it's, it's, it's combining the two sports, mountain biking and, and fly fishing. It, it, it's a lot of fun yeah, for sure. Yeah, I even saw a video of a couple of guys that were cross-country skiing into their fly fishing. And I thought, yeah. there's another way. You know, it, yeah. it is a winter sport. People think of fishing as a summer sport, but if the water's flowing, you can fish it. Fish don't hibernate. They continue to move and eat. So as long as they're active, you can catch them. Yeah, absolutely. I found in the wintertime, when the water's really cold, sometimes you almost have to hit them in the nose with your fly yeah. before they're going to you know, make any effort to grab it, but they're still there and it adds a little added challenge to it. But hey, we've gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves because I want to talk about what fly fishing is. 
So we have a lot of listeners that know what fly fishing is. We have some avid fly fishing listeners who could, you know, tell us how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other people who have never done it before, and they're like, well, what's the different b- difference between a fly rod and a regular casting rod, and why would I do one versus the other? Right. So I think for, you know, maybe breaking it down to the to the warm water fishing, um, you know, typically guys who are going after freshwater bass, largemouth bass, which is a, probably the most common warm water species that, that people go after, you're hunting these these fish with with pretty large lures, uh, whether they're plastic or soft plastic or hard plastic, um, and you know that's that's the idea is that the bigger the 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 lure, kind of the bigger the fish you're going to catch. Um, it's an aggressive sport. You're using you know nearly twenty pound test line, the the strength of the line, um, whereas with fly fishing for bass, it's it's a little bit uh, I don't want to say delicate, but it is a, just a different technique with it, where you're you're trying to get their attention with a lighter, smaller lure, um, lighter weight line. Um, it's it's definitely similar. You're trying to catch a fish, but it's just with the equipment is a little bit different. And there's a lot more um, finesse involved. You're trying to get the fly right there in front of the fish and and simulate the natural movement of whether it's a, a streamer or or a, a topwater popper, which might simulate like a frog or or a bug on top of the water. And you're trying to accurately, you know, portray this this insect or this this bug in the water to get the get the get the fish to get his attention and get his excitement to it. Um, you know, it, it's interesting when you, when you think about the differences between the two sports and yet they do combine quite often. I'll say that because my, my youngest son, he loves to bass fish using plastics um, and, and just your regular rod and reel style fishing. And he is a great fisherman. Um, but there are occasions where he's not catching them and he will switch to a fly. And for whatever reason, a small fly or, or something that maybe is simulates something that they've been eating or, or that is hatching in the area and boom, start catching them. Um, and if I knew exactly when and what that was, Curtis, you know, and how that happens, um, boy, I'd, I'd be a millionaire. But it, it just for whatever reason, sometimes that fly fishing is 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 on, and and that's what the bass want. Um, but anyways, that I don't know if that, that yeah, answers the good. question. Or not. No, that's great. I think what I'm picking up from what you're saying there is that when you're when you're fishing with a regular rod and reel, often you're trying to flash something at the fish. Sometimes you're even trying to make it angry so it attacks your yeah. your lure. It's yeah. not really. This is a natural thing. It's more of a, I'm in your face and I'm flashing and you're angry about it and you're territorial and you're going to come after it. But when you throw very, a fly out real. there with a fly rod, now you're trying to say, this is the food you eat. This is what yeah. you're looking for every day. And you're trying That's to right. make it look natural and match what's going on in the, in the local ecosystem with those fish. That's right. That's, that's different. 
It is different. And if you ever have the chance to get in the water, get under the water and watch a bass or, or a bluegill or something eat or, or, or chase after a fly, um, it, it, it helps kind of give you the understanding of, of what or how they see it. And any kind of wrong movement that you put into the fly, uh, unnatural movement, they'll lose attention. And every time you throw that same fly back to them, they, they'll know instantly, hey, that's not real. But if, mm. if you throw the fly in there and, you know, get it to have the natural movement of whatever bug or worm or whatever it is that you're um, imitating, and, and man, you can see them. They just, they look at it and they can see it. You see it computing in their mind that, hey, that, that's, that's food. Okay, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. Yep, that's food. Bam, they're on. <laughs> and and to see that in the water, you know, and one of the great things about being in Texas when, you know, late spring, early summer, the water temperatures, upper 70s, um, low 80s. And, you know, geez, like bath water, practically. Uh, it is a lot of fun to get in the water and watch the fish going after flies. We do it many times. Where we don't even <laughs> put a hook on, you know, just tie a fly and put it on a string and a stick or whatever and throw it out there. It sounds silly now I'm talking about it, but it is a lot of fun. And you learn to see how the fish react to the fly, see what, what their interest is and, and how the behavior of the fly in the water will, will get their attention. Yeah, that's so. really cool. You know, just to kind of substantiate what you're saying there, I went fishing up in Rocky Mountain National Park, I guess it was two summers ago, but there was a tiny little trout, a little brook trout, and he wasn't interested in anything. So I tied about five or, or six, maybe more, different types of flies onto my tippet and tried to get this guy's attention. And he would yeah. see it laying on the water. And if I had the, the right technique, which I still work on, and got it to land the right way, he'd come up to it, but then he'd go away again. Right. And so most people would say, well, the fish aren't biting. But I had heard from my son, no, no, you just have to do the right thing. I finally put the right fly on that line, threw it out there, and bang, he grabbed it. But yeah. it probably took me yeah. 45 minutes to attract <laughs> one tiny, he's only six inches long, <laughs> you know, but I thought right. that was fun. Yes. That was fun. That is. That's part of the the sport of it, the, it, it's the adventure of it, the the treasure hunting of it, you know, is being able to do that and, and to get the fish to finally bite and, yeah. and catch them. And, and like you said, it's six inches. At least you, you see them. And a lot of people say, what the heck are you doing catching a six inch fish? But it's, it's, it's all of it combined, right? It's not just being able to throw something out there and catching them. You know, you can do that with a net or you, whatever. It's, it's part of that, that experience of watching the fish look at the lure as it's going by or the fly as it's going by kind of seeing in his mind, you know, what is he thinking? What is he looking at? What is he? And then that gives you the next time. Okay, well, he, he didn't, he kind of came up to it, but then he swam away. So maybe this time I'm going to twitch it a little and see if that sparks his interest. Or like you said, tie in another fly that, you know, that really gets his attention. So, man, a lot of fun. Yeah, no doubt. So describe the difference between just regular rod and reel casting versus line casting with a fly rod that's a big difference too yeah right so line casting with a fly rod you're using the weight of the line itself 
as opposed to when you're when you're um, regular rod and reel, you're using the weight of the lure or added weight, you know, next to the lure to throw it out there. With a fly rod, the line itself that you use up until the the end, about seven feet away from the end where your fly is, is weighted and has has a, has mass. So when you when you're throwing the line or when you're casting the line, the rod is loading up with that with that mass and flinging it out and that's what sends the line the leader the tippet the fly out into the water um so yeah there's some mechanics involved there's some physics involved that you you have to kind of get set to however it it's 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 also as simple as a roll cast where you just stick your rod straight up straight up in the air and kind of push it out forward and that momentum flings the line and the lure out into the water. There's all kinds of different techniques to to fly to fly fishing or to the the art of casting. Those different techniques come in handy when you're in different places. Like if you're in a a, a creek or in a stream bed that has a lot of brush brush or trees along the sides, and you can't get a big long cast going or or um, you have to watch your back cast, then a, a roll cast or or just being able to flick the fly out, uh, you know, is important to learn how to do. Um, so all those different techniques that you have to learn and, and understand. It, it, to to a fisherman, to, a, to someone who wants to enter the sport of fly fishing, you know, they think or they see on YouTube, you know, all these different techniques and all this different styles and ways of doing things can be pretty intimidating but the basics of it is very simple and you know kids pick it up really quickly um i think and it's something that if you practice a few minutes in your backyard or out on a pond somewhere you're you're good to go it doesn't take very long it takes a while to master some of the techniques um, and to keep from getting your line, you know, in a crow's nest, which I still do all the time, but it, it, um, it's something that you can learn quite quickly and, and start fishing right away without a doubt. It's nothing that you should be, be intimidated by, by any means. It's not always possible to take a French press or a coffee maker out in the woods with you, but thankfully now you don't have to because there is a great option in CS Instant Coffee. They make 100% Arabica Instant Coffee in compostable packaging. It's perfect for the outdoors or whenever you don't have the time to make a fresh pot. And right now you can save 50% on your first order by going to csinstant.coffee and using the code ADVENTURE at checkout. One of my new favorite pieces of gear is actually my wallet, and that's because it's been inspired by simplicity by Rome products. It's a minimalist style wallet, holds my cash, my cards, holds it really tightly because it's elastic, and it's probably eliminated my wallet size down by 60 to 70%. They offer a variety of designs from artistic to patterns, and they're machine washable if they get dirty. 
come with a little carabiner so you can clip it to things like your keys or your lanyard. And they also offer a complete line of silicone rings with a variety of styles and colors. So if you're tired of carrying around a big bulky wallet, go to wheredoyouroam.com and use the code PODCAST with a capital P at checkout for 20% off. I grew up fishing with my grandparents, and as a little kid, it was always a bobber with a worm hanging on the bottom of it, you know, with with a hook. And and as a little kid, I looked at that, and I'd watch that bobber for about 60 seconds. I thought an hour had gone by, and I'm ready to do something else. <laughs> you That's know? right. But then I started using lures and, and cast fishing with a regular rod and reel. And that was a lot more fun because it was more active. I could throw it out there and reel it back in. But then after a while, that starts to feel pretty common too, you know. But when I tried fly fishing for the first time, I realized, wow, that just the casting itself is so much more elegant and elaborate that it created a whole new challenge to the sport. I mean, this may be silly, but it's kind of like rolling the perfect bowling ball to get a strike. The perfect cast is elusive. Now, you can get the line out there without a lot of training, but to get that perfect cast with the right presentation at the right place in the water where you know that fish is... That's that's half the sport, and that's part of the fun. You know, that's, yes. to me, it's it's much more entertaining than any other style of fishing. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with you there. Absolutely. To be able to place a fly exactly where you want it um, is such a challenge. You have so many different factors. You know, it can be the, the weather, the wind, rain. Um, you know, it could be... Anything involved with with your gear, the like we talked about the the line that you use at the end of the line, you typically have the 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 weighted line. You have the the leader, and then you have a tippet, and at the end of that, of course, you have your fly, and all that you know has to be placed correctly to get the fly right where you want it. And if any of that decides to go one way or the other and and or or, you know who knows what it makes it quite challenging now when you do get your fly you know if you're if you got 30 feet of line out and it just seems like once you get into that rhythm and you hit one spot for some reason that muscle memory or your brain does something and boom it's like you have it you're in the zone and you know your next 10 casts or so are just like perfect then (laughs) For whatever reason, there's always something, it seems like, that gets into me, at least, and I think about it, or or something happens, and then I'm, you know, back to, oh, geez, you know, slapping the water again. All right, well, that's, that's me. Something. Absolutely. <laughs> Daniel, I mean, he can put it where he wants it most of the time. Yeah. I mean, the vast majority of the time. He, he doesn't miss much. But, yeah, man, for, awesome. for me, it's, it's just exactly what you said. It's like, oh, that worked. Do it again. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes it happens. That's oh, I know fun. it's crazy. And yeah, I've been doing, like I said, I've been doing this for you know thirty five, forty years. And and you know, I, maybe it's just me. I'm not talented or something. But <laughs> I I still struggle with 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 finding the that perfect cast with the heavy stuff. Now you know, a lighter rod, like a three weight rod with a, a little tiny. Um, you know, 20, 20 weight fly on the end of it. 
Yeah, no problem. But these bigger, you know, my nine foot rod, um, on five weight, when I'm throwing a, a pretty big bass lure, it's difficult. It really is. Um, and that's part of the challenge is to not have the lure hit the water so hard that it spooks the fish (laughs) in a wrong way you want it to hit the water and then excite them not freak them out like you know aliens are landing on them or something (laughs) and if you catch one then for sure they think they've been abducted yeah exactly i wonder (laughs) that yeah what do they think about that when they get pulled out of the water and sent back in to tell their buddies what happened exactly well hey tell us a story about one of these fishing trips with your dad. I, I really want to hear what it was like as a kid to go into the wilderness and the yeah. experiences that you had. One in, Well, actually a couple real quick. One where we went into um, the Eastern Sierras with a guide, uh, Ralph Cutter. And I think that trip was back in the 80s. Uh, is a mule trip. So we packed in. I think we are gone for about five or six days hit a bunch of small lakes and streams and it was a teaching learning you know fishing trip where during the day he was taking us the guide was taking us to areas um and helping us you know select the flies and then the evenings it was if we wanted those of us it was a, a fly time so sitting around the campfire um and you know showing how to how to how to uh, tie flies uh, out in the you know out on the in the on the campsite, um, and that was the first time I on the trip uh, caught a golden trout, which was mm. pretty awesome. So get to mark that one off. Now, one particular trip that my dad and I planned for you know all year, it was up. We were going to take a pack animals into Yellowstone and fish. One of the rivers we were fishing was the Pelican River. And we had hired a guide, uh, like I said, planned all year for it. You know, can't wait for school to get out. This was back in the 80s again. And, you know, get up there. We had, I think it was two days in. Um, the first night, it hailed on us, rained on us. We didn't get to fish. Um, and we, you know, spent most of the time in the in the tents and in just trying to keep dry the second day we had made it to the pelican river um as the the guide and 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 his hand were setting up the the campsite my dad and i went down to the to the river and started fishing and a just beautiful beautiful fish brooks and rainbows and browns and you know nice nice beautiful area big meadow and i would say probably after in my mind, I'm thinking an hour might have been shorter, longer. Park rangers show up on horseback and ask us what we're doing, and we're saying, "Well, we're fishing." Say, "Well, you can't fish here. You're about a week early. The fishing season on this lake or this river doesn't open for another week." Uh oh. Uh oh. So the guide screwed up. He didn't check his schedule, or he didn't check something, and that was our whole fishing trip was to be on that on that river. So we were done, um, for the most part and had to, had to have pack it in and, and, you know, head back. Luckily the guide was really cool. And, and, uh, his boss knew of some private lakes up in the Hills that, that they took us to. 
So the story didn't end terribly bad, but the point of it was, uh, you know, we had planned all year long to fish this oh, river, no. but we didn't check to see, you know, exactly when the season opened. We assumed the guide knew that was his job, but he didn't. Uh, and so we, we didn't get to fish like we wanted to, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, always, always, always check the rivers, streams, lakes, wherever you're at. Make sure you understand the the season, you know, the 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 area that you're fishing in may be barbless, maybe um you know all kinds of different regulations, how many can keep or not keep or whatever. So that's really important to understand when you're out and about, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Had you gone and had it been the correct season and had you fished and not caught a thing, the fact of the matter is you still went Mm-hmm. And you went into an amazing area, and you got to yeah. be out there and see the beauty of it and, and do something. And and we still talk about that trip as one of our favorites, which, in a strange way, because the first night when we were there, we thought a 747 was flying over us out in the middle of nowhere in, in Yellowstone Park. And it, you know, it might have been a tornado or something. I don't know. It was the craziest sound ever heard. The... The next night when we made it to the Pelican, um, uh, you know, when we were sleeping there that night, we had buffalo roaming around our tents and eating along our, our tent line and everything. I mean, it's <laughs> experiences like that are just, you'll never forget them. And then when, when the trip was over, uh, or, you know, fishing the, the yellow or fishing in the Yellowstone or in Yellowstone Park. Uh, we still had the opportunity to go fishing some small lakes um, that we never would have been to or never would have thought to go to or, or to try and just had a great time. So, you know, you're absolutely right. It, it's just being there and doing it and all that is just is part of the adventure and part of the fun, for sure. Well, and that's what adventure is. It's not what you planned. It's what happens when you planned other things that makes the adventure an adventure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about warm water fly fishing because, you know, I, I kind of baited all of our listeners with that at the <laughs> beginning. I think a lot of people don't think of fly fishing in warm water settings, but it's becoming a thing now. And you're yeah. telling me that it's just a ton of fun. It is. You know, here in, here in Texas is a perfect example because it is warm here in, in Texas and the waters get quite warm. There's, I'd say there's three different styles of, of fly fishing in three different waters, right? You have the rivers and creeks and streams um, as one. You have lake fishing and you have pond fishing. So many ponds around Central Texas. Most of them are privately owned, but you know, come friends with a landowner and access is is pretty easy to get. the The stream fishing and the the river fishing in in Texas. Um, yeah, it's nothing like uh, in the in the Rockies or or the the Sierras. Obviously, very different. The the water being warm has different styles of fish. You know, your bass, your your sunfish, bluegill, um, and you know, catfish and 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 such. But the bass and the bluegill are some of the funnest fish to catch on a fly rod. The the closest river to us is the, the Brazos, and it winds its way 
from up by Possum Kingdom down to the coast uh, by by Houston. And right in between where we're at, there is a stretch below Whitney. It's probably eight miles or so. You can kayak it, uh, canoe it, wade it. Um, but the fish in there, the the whites and the 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 smallmouth and the largemouth bass are just super fun to catch on a fly rod, and they're it's pretty easy to catch them. You only need a few different style of 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 flies. Um, the woolly booger, which everybody fly fish knows of, the uh, popper, which is a very common um, topwater, and a streamer like a klaus or minnow. If you have those three flies you're going to catch fish on on the river. That's the probably the biggest river around or, or, or creek or whatever. Um, there's lots of little creeks that flow into to the lakes around here. We have the, the Bosque. There's three branches, the south, middle, and north. And kayaking or, or wading up through those, you'll find pools that only have to be, you know, two feet deep. And they're going to have a have a handful of bass or, or bluegill in them. Um, little creeks that flow through subdivisions and through areas that have been developed, people overlook them, but they can be a super fun way of getting out and, and catching sunfish. There's one particular one nearby here that that goes right by our house and then down behind the high school here, and never see anybody fishing it. But there are tons of six-inch to smaller uh, sunfish, you know, uh, pumpkin seeds, bluegills, red ears, all those different hybrids, warmouths. I mean, just every type of sunfish you can think of probably lives in that little stretch. And catching them on a fly rod is not the only way to catch them, but is probably the easiest because you can deal with such little flies that they're interested in. And it's it's year round. I you know the water's flowing year round, and those fish are moving year round. They're active year round. I don't think there's been a month that we haven't. Maybe December or January, just because we're too cold to go out. But for the most part, um, it, you can go out and catch a fish any time here in in Central Texas. Now, of course, springtime and in the beginning of summer. The fish are are so active that you know it, it's hard to keep them off the <laughs> off the lines. But um, for the rest of the year, absolutely, whenever you want to go out and and catch a fish, you can. And again, with fly fishing, you have you it opens up more opportunities, I think, because you can deal with little tiny flies to catch the little fish. So, yeah, that's that's the basics of it, Curtis. I I, I encourage anyone that that is interested in 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 fly fishing to try it around their their home or or, or a, an area near their home a lot of cities have parks that have ponds and you know you check with the the local city manager but most likely they'll let you fish in them and it's a great place to try fly fishing and to start fly fishing up in where my my oldest son lives in plano um there's several ponds right near his house that, you know, you see people playing soccer and 
catching frisbee and flying kites all around, but hardly ever see people fish in the ponds. And there's fish in them, and we've caught them. You know, uh, it's it doesn't have to be you know hike ten miles into the wilderness, which is fun. It can be you know ride your your ten speed down to the local local pond and 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 have a blast too. That's neat. I keep coming back to bluegill in my mind. I mean, I can't imagine having a big bass on a fly rod. I know that would be fun. Oh, yeah. But the reason I keep coming back to the bluegill is because that's what I fished for as a kid in the streams where I grew up. And I just can't imagine. I've never caught a bluegill on a fly rod, but I think it would be a blast to be able to to do that. They're just such a different fish, very aggressive. And, man, they're fighters. It doesn't take a big one to put up a huge fight. It would blow your mind when after you know pulling it in that wow that little fish put up that fight what yeah absolutely um, and you know Curtis some of the some of the the ponds around here the the bluegill get huge um, you know a, a a full one pound bluegill you'll think you have a ten pound trout on I mean <laughs> they right. are crazy aggressive. Um, yeah, with all the, there's so many different kinds of, of sunfish or bluegill. And the, I think the, the, the ones that I, they're all interesting to catch without a doubt. And some of the, the little ones, the ones that are, you know, four inches, three inches, two inches long. Um, they're so colorful and it, it's like a, it's like an aquarium fish. You know, when you when you look at them and study them, they're just absolutely beautiful. And like I said, they're aggressive. They're they're not like you know some fish that will will get on and just go straight to the bottom and lay there and you just reel them in. I mean, they fight. I you know you think of 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 a big largemouth dancing out of the water trying to trying to spit the lure out of his mouth or something. I, I mean, I've actually seen little bluegill just sail out of the water. You know, just. <laughs> You know, two or three feet out of the water, just going going nuts, trying to get the fly out of their mouth or whatever it is. And yeah, it's it is a lot of fun, absolutely. Well, John, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. Okay. You do work for Tiga Coolers. That's right. And that's Tiga Coolers is spelled T A I G A. And I'm always jealous when I I find someone like you who gets to work for such a a cool outdoor focused company. But Tyga Coolers, they make high-end coolers for people that want to use coolers for fishing and all that other kind of stuff. Tell us about that. Tyga Coolers, like you said, they're high-end, up to seven-day ice retention, three inches of, of R5 insulated foam blown into them. So, they're, I mean, they're, they're very, very high-end coolers. And the purpose of them was to go after the guides and you know, guys that are going out on their, on their boats for, for several days and need ways to keep, you know, your beer and other things cold for a long period of time. Um, they're not an igloo cooler. They are a, a very, uh, high quality, durable, um, super strong cooler. And the, the neat thing about these particular coolers or, or Tiger coolers are that you can customize them. So let's say you, you have you know, you have a business and you want to promote your brand or your, your storefront or whatever it is, and you have your certain colors that you want, we can match any color you can think of for the coolers. And, and 
the outside, the lid, the interior, any of it can be custom colors. We also have the ability on the front of the cooler to emboss your logo. So it's not just like a decal, it's actually molded into the front of the cooler. Whatever logo saying, whatever it is that you want, we can put that into the front of the cooler. So they're great promotional items. And besides that, they're they're great for the, the adventure seeker who needs a way to keep their their food and drinks cold for you know up to seven days. Seven days. So the coolers I always used when I would go out like car camping or something, mm-hmm. it was like the seven hour cooler, right? <laughs> so you put everything in there and you say, okay, we're going to eat anything that spoils first right? because it's not going to keep... But I love this. We have a lot of uh, river runners that have been on the show that that do extended trips. You're talking about keeping a steak good for up to seven days and and having steak on the last night of the river. There you go. (laughs) That that is awesome. Absolutely. What about the the mule guides, the guys that are pack muling in? Same story. Same story. And again, these coolers aren't, they're not lightweight coolers. I mean, it's not something that you're going to you know, you and your buddy carry up 30 miles into the wilderness by hand. I mean, that's not what they're meant for. They're meant to, like you said, be be packed in or, or you know, be part of your gear when you're, when you're driving in. But yeah, put it on the side of a mule with the 27 or 55 quart, put the steak on the bottom, beer on top of that, nice on top of that, and you're good. The, tw- the other side, kind of nice about like the 27 quart, which is a little smaller size cooler, it's perfect for like your stand-up paddle boarders. You know, strap it down, fasten it to the board. It's a great for a seat. And then you have the storage. You put rod holders on the sides. You can put, you know, other storage attached to the cooler on it. You can put a swivel seat on it, put a bench seat on it, put a recliner on it, whatever you wanted. But it's it's tough enough that you can, you know, stand on it, sit on it, and it's locks and seals so if you do tip things over tip the board over or something you're not gonna you're not gonna lose what's inside of it or you're not gonna get water gushing in and and ruining maybe what you what you had inside of it either you know i'm thinking about all of our canoers out there yes son and i we have a two-man canoe and that's what we bring with us is the 27 quart you know you can be out on the on the river on the lake all day long and have enough water and food and supplies in the in the cooler for sure or they fit nicely behind you know some of these these little bit wider kayaks especially a fishing kayak they're they're perfect for for right behind the seat you can strap them in so these things are the real deal that's what i like about them something you can depend on Mm -hmm. you can stand on it's going to take the abuse and it's going to keep your food cold for a long long time that's right um, the bigger coolers were somewhat also designed for your hunters who, you know, maybe they're packed in a, a couple days in and are able to, you know, need a, a way to bring the meat back. The bigger coolers are perfect for that. You have an 88 quart that's pretty big and can obviously hold quite a lot of, of meat in it. But there's a big variety in here. Yeah, all kinds of variety. I mean, um, but again, I think for the coolers that the biggest, you know, difference from us, from others, is just our ability to to customize them. I'm just kind of laughing here. I'm looking at your 88-quart Taiga cooler, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, you mentioned sport teams. I was just thinking, that's the cooler to dump on the coach when you win the game, right there. That's it. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely. 22 gallons. Holy cow. Yeah, that is a monster. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you think about, you know, that can hold, what, 96 cans and, and ice. And, and with it, you know, the, the, again, it, it's, the cooler itself is, is not light. They're not meant to be light. They're, they're heavy duty and, uh, you know, have a purpose to them. They're, they're designed, okay, well, yeah, we didn't even talk about that. They're made here in Texas, so that's a U.S., you know, 100% USA made product. Um, you know, there's a lifetime warranty on them. It, Wayne, Wayne often says that, you know, if something's wrong with it, send it back and no questions asked, you know. And, Unless you tell us that you're trying to shoe an elephant on it or something like that, we're going to question it. But you know, otherwise, yeah, there's we'll replace it without any question. So, now that's cool. Tyga Coolers was kind enough to offer a special for the Adventure Sports listeners. What is that, and how can they find more information? Yeah, so for more information, go on to the website, which is uh, tygacoolers.com. We are going to offer free shipping on any single item. Um, as long as you give us the code fish Tiger, so that's F I S H T A I G A, and like I said, we'll give you free shipping on on any item. But yeah, go on to the website www.tigacoolers.com and check everything out. We got everything on there to look at, and got any questions or shoot us a, an email or give us a call. I'd like to to get back to the fly fishing just a little bit. As we close out the show here, why would you encourage people to take up fly fishing as an activity? Oh, yeah, lots of lots of reasons. But I think narrowing it down, it gets you out on the creeks. Um, it it allows you. It's a sport that it's it's not meant just for meat fishing. You know, just to go out and and bring home dinner. It it's a sport that that kind of gets inside of you and, and stays there it's it you think about it all the time there's there's you plan for it all the time it's something that you can do wherever you go if you're going on a business trip if you're going on vacation somewhere it, it you know salt water fresh water it doesn't matter you can fly fish anywhere and and like we've seen you can fly fish when the temperature of the water is you know in the 90s Fish are still there and fish are still biting. There's also the other side of it that we really didn't talk much about is in fly time, you know, designing and creating your own flies. Um, You know, there are people that don't fly fish that just tie flies. Right. You know, it was kind of crazy to think of, but, but, you know, Hey, it's, there's an art to it. And there's, there's something about going out and watching a fish eating something eating some type of, you know, whether it's a, uh, a fly or a, or a midge or something or a streamer or, 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 I mean, another bait fish or something, and then going home and trying to, to imitate that and take it back and presenting it to him and seeing if he'll, he'll go for it. So, so many different ways to get involved into fly fishing, and, you know, there's really no reason why you shouldn't. I think that you kind of nailed it there. It's vast. It's not a shallow sport. This is one that you can do for a lifetime, mm-hmm. and you know you get better at it every time you go out. But it's it's not automatic. It takes skill development, and yeah. then there's the fly tying, and there are all the different types of flies, and the different different types of fishing. You can nymph, you can 
streamer fish, you can dry fly fish, you can wet fly fish, you can do a dry drop dropper, you can I mean there's yeah. so many different ways oh, yeah. that you can present the fly to the to the fish. It's just like it's kind of like the never ending sport really. It really is. Yeah, it it doesn't ever end it seems like. That that's that's a very good way to put it. I mean, I, I every year I plan for something new and different. This year um and, and I'm already planning for next year. I, I, next year, I want to learn how to catch the alligator or the long-nose gar. Um, see, them, see them in the rivers here all the time. I know there are people that fish for them, but I don't, I'm not interested in, in the typical kind of um, snaring them in a way, the way they typically fish for them. I want to figure out a way to, to fly fish for them. So, <laughs> and, and to do it successfully, you know, um, without hurting the fish. So that is going to be something I'm going to work on this year and, and, and go after next year. So, yeah, every, every year there's something new to be working on. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fascinating. What kind of a tippet would you have to use to keep them from cutting it with those teeth? That's right. So that's, that's going to be the trick. And, and you see a lot of guys that, that are regular rod and reel fishing with, with either the, you know, a steel line or a steel tippet or, or some kind of really abrasive, resistant line um almost like yarn that they wrap themselves up in um and that's how you bring them in so that's going to be part of the trick is to figure out how to how to get something that you know um and maybe it's just going to be some very very strong um uh, tippet i'm not completely sure um so yeah that's what that's what i got to figure out i don't know (laughs) if you have some ideas send it my way. Well, it's a good <laughs> illustration of how the sport never ends. It, it really doesn't. So yeah, John, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Oh, my pleasure, Curtis. I, I appreciate it a lot. A lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. It's always fun to talk about stuff we love. Isn't oh, it? it is. You can go on for hours. <laughs> for all of our listeners out there, find a sport that you love, get out there, have some fun. First of all, Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.